Hello and welcome to the Mersey Ways podcast. I'm Sarah and I'm part of the communications team here at Liverpool City Council. Over the past few weeks, there's been a global spotlight shone on the issue of race and anti-racism following the death of George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man who died during an arrest in Minneapolis. Since then, headlines have been dominated with scenes of people joining together in solidarity to highlight the issue of racism, not only in policing, but in society itself. Liverpool is no exception. Its shameful link with the slave trade is well known, and in 1999, Liverpool City Council made a formal apology for the city's role in the slave trade. In January of this year, it also passed a motion which would see information panels installed around things like street names, statues and paintings, which would give the full historical context of the piece. But is Liverpool really doing enough? Today, I'm joined by Liverpool's Lord Mayor, Councillor Anna Rothery, to talk about the city's stance and what more it could do. I'm also pleased to say I'll be joined by Deputy Mayor of Bristol City Council, Councillor Asher Craig. Like Liverpool, Bristol accrued its wealth through the slave trade and it is now feeling the repercussions as the city hit international headlines when the statue of Edward Colston was thrown into the harbour during a Black Lives Matter protest. I'll be asking Councillor Craig about what steps Bristol is taking to bring about racial equality across its communities. Hello and welcome to the Mersey Waves podcast. Thank you very much um, for joining us today. I know you're incredibly busy, the pair of you, so I really appreciate your time. Councillor Rothery, let me start with you, if that's okay. Um, You've made history twice, which is quite a statement. So you were the city's first ever Black Lord Mayor last year. And it's been very recently announced that you have been reappointed. So you're the first Lord Mayor to perform consecutive terms. So congratulations, firstly. Um, but also, how, how initially did it feel last year when you got that role? Because it was, it was groundbreaking, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, you know, in all honesty, it was kind of a mixed blessing. Uh, because, we, you know, there were issues around it. However... Uh, the eternal optimist, I made a decision to grasp it with both hands and turn a negative into a positive. It's a huge opportunity to have a a further reach, really, in terms of, not just in terms of the political arena, but working with our universities, our employers, you know, working with our schools, uh, working with our archdiocese, multi-faiths, etc. And because of my theme for the year, which is equality for all, it was a pivotal role, really, in terms of opening up that dialogue and that debate and conversation. Did it feel like a long time coming? It did feel like a long time coming, um, you know, but it was utterly unexpected. Um, you know, it, obviously, it was something that I'd thought about, um, but I didn't believe that it was within my grasp to actually um, take on that role. So it was a pleasant surprise but as I say it was a mixed blessing as well but you know the reality is that anything worth doing is just never easy to do Um, and so I went into it with my eyes wide open in terms of what I wanted to achieve at the end of it um, and and the enormity of what it was I wanted to achieve as well. I mean you touched on there that you're a massive champion for equality and diversity how did you feel back in January when the City Council passed a motion we're basically saying that we're going to acknowledge, publicly acknowledge our relationship with the slave trade. So on statues, on paintings, there will be an information panel. 
that explains that history? How, how, what did that mean to you? I think it was well overdue because, I mean, this is a conversation that's been taking place for decades in the city. Uh, maybe not in the political arena, but certainly amongst our community members far and wide. And so, you know, not being one who stifles discussion and debate, I, was re I really welcomed the motion because what that enables us to do is to get an honest, open and frank discussion going on about the impact that it has on people who live in the city now. Um, you know, it was, you know, everybody must agree it's a heinous history of Liverpool in terms of our involvement with the slave trade. But, you know, I don't think people really realise the impact it has on black people today, um, having to live with a legacy like that. And not the legacy of enslavement on its own, um, but, you know, the, the glorification of that legacy of enslavement is a very, very um, heavy cross to bear for black people in our city and nationally as well. You're nodding along there, Councillor Craig. You echo Councillor Rothery's sentiments. Uh, of, course I, uh, of course I do. And I think one of the, uh, one of the biggest issues for us has been how the, 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 the history of, of, of slavery and, and uh, the slave trade uh, and the role of the society of merchant venturers um, basically played down, okay? Uh, it's a conversation that I've been having since the, the statue was toppled uh, and which also created a whole wave of um, um, uh, events, not only nationally, but globally. Um, it felt like so a domino effect, didn't it? That it, one. It, it, it did, it did have a domino effect. Um, but, you know, I keep saying the, the earthquake that happened was, uh, was the death of, uh, of George Floyd. And it's like, we're feeling the aftershocks of this. You know, anybody who had any sense of humanity, you know, I've been listening to lots of interviews. I've been talking to my own children and hearing them for the first time revealed to me about the racism that they um, experienced, even when they were children at school and they were too afraid to say anything to me maybe because they knew what I was like, but you know, my, my youngest daughter said to me, mom, I realized I, I was different. It was going to be different for me when I was seven and I went to dance and then, yeah. Yeah, it hurts. Uh, but we all, every black person, you know, and whether you're privileged or not, not, not privileged, everyone has a story to tell about how we have been impacted by racism in society. And so um, the genie's out the bottle. You know, I think, yeah, it's been on the news for the last three and a half weeks or what have you, but we are determined, as with Anna and hopefully Liverpool, that Bristol um, is going to face its future uh, warts and all. And so um, the mayor has announced a, a, history, a commission uh, of historians. We're blessed by the fact that we have David Olasoga and um, Professor Olivet uh, Oletti, um, uh, prominent uh, black historians who live right here in our city. So we're gonna work with them, so academics, as well as community historians, because we're also going to look at race and class, right? Because the two are intertwined. And I think, you know, People only know what you know because, you know, the history that has been told has been told from a particular one perspective, right? And we are developing our own curriculum here in the city as well that we're rolling out to schools. Um, and so, we, yeah, we have to tell the whole history, however painful that's going to be for black people and particularly uh, white working class people.
Well, how is the atmosphere in Bristol at the moment? What is the general mood the, of people? The, um, the general mood at the moment, we're seeing um, uh, definitely an uplift in uh, the far right uh, and hate crime. Uh, last week, um, somebody sent me a picture in the park that I live next door to uh, near, near, near a park. Uh, the EDL had scrawled uh, some racist um, uh, some, some racist uh, script uh, on on a board in the park, and uh, we had uh, one of only two monuments that we've actually ever erected um, with a, a slave. Serpica uh, Africanus, um, his uh, headstone, um, a young slave, 18 year, years old, that had been, in, uh, been installed in the, the um, Henbury Cemetery for what, over 20 years. And uh, yeah, last week it was smashed to pieces and some racist, uh, racist words were, were, were written. Uh, and basically, what was it? Oh yeah, the warning was, Oh, and if you don't put back up Colston, expect expect more or something ridiculous. So, yeah. But I would say the vast majority of the people in Bristol, uh, my children call it, everyone's become woke, right? Black people and white people. Because you know something? There are a lot of black people in this city that we didn't even know about Colston. That's the other thing. You know, we've been denied the history. And what history we do know was that he was a philanthropist and his name was on all these roads and on all these schools. Would you do something similar to Liverpool in terms of the information panel side of things so that like you can educate people? Oh yeah, so these are things that we want to, so I want to learn, you know, I look to Liverpool a lot in terms of looking at the journey that you were on because um, obviously you've got the museum and I think it's absolutely phenomenal. You know, there's lots and lots of calls from people. I mean, we have had thousands, literally the mayor's inbox and mine is I'm trying to, you know, thousands of, uh, of individuals emailing, do this, do that. This is what you need to do with the plinth. But we want to look at good practice, best practice that has happened in other, uh, both here in the UK uh, and also uh, in, in Europe and even America mm -hmm. to make sure that uh, we get it right. Okay. And I keep saying to people, don't get, don't get hung up on, on, on the Colston statue or, or the music, you know, for some people it's about, you know, the information, what do we use? The curriculum, you know, teach the kids from their young, let them know about their city, as we said, and not to airbrush history, which is what has been done in our city too long. Yeah. I think it'd be quite interesting, Councillor, as well, is it not only will it educate people, it would also maybe debunk some myths. I mean, we've seen a lot of chatter in Liverpool lately around Penny Lane and the sign, and that was, defaced and um, with people believing it was linked with the slave trade. I mean, what's your view on that? I mean, I mean, I think just, just as an aside before we, just to pick up on the point about education, I mean, it is crucial that it's, it is tied into our curriculum because, you know, as black people, we are um, perceived as being the sum total of enslavement. We're not the sum total of enslavement. Mm -hmm. We are educators, we're scientists, we're architects. We're kings, we're queens, we've got, you know, there's so much more to our history. And mm -hmm. we deserve to be judged by our history just as much as any other individual uh, is judge, judged on their history. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Asha was just saying that they've set up a group that's working with local historians and international mm -hmm. historians. And the thing is, is that it's by having this conversation 
and somebody being in the middle, you know, playing devil's advocate and allowing people to hear their views on both sides uh, to open up and stimulate that conversation. But at the end of the day, we have to be realistic about the connections to the slave trade. But there's no doubt in anybody's mind that the city's riches and finances and the economy was built on the slave trade. We all understand that's a given. That's not open for debate. Everybody acknowledges that. Um, the kind of conversations that we need to have is, is it appropriate in this day and age to still have street names, uh, paintings that depict people who were, you know, some of the worst perpetrators mm. of the African Holocaust? You mm. know, you're talking about millions and millions of people who were murdered, left to die, thrown overboard. You know, I mean, do we really want to be associated with that as a city, as a forward-looking city that mm -hmm. embraces each and everybody from regardless of what your background, culture, faith, etc.? Is that something that we really want to be associated with? No, it isn't, because we're a progressive city. And in um, order to be a progressive city, we have to embrace everything and we have to be completely open and honest about our history. And it's not fit for, for purpose any longer. It's not future proof. Yeah, absolutely right. And you know what's much more powerful this time? It's, it's not just the voice of black people. It's, yeah. the voice, it's the voice of the young. You know, yeah. it was white people who pulled the statue down. <laughs> okay, it was white people who pulled down the statue, not black people. It was white yeah. people who pulled down the statue. Young people, yeah. You know, and, and you know, enough is enough that's what they're saying enough is enough they do have black you know they they they've grown up knowing only one history and they're feeling uh, you know uh, I, I listen to you know the debates that my my daughter is having with some of her white friends you know via instagram and you know people i want the, the young people want to know so much you know and uh, our children are willing to kind of they're learning themselves they're learning their own history as well. You know, yeah. most of it is what we've been able to impart knowledge to them as, as parents, as conscious black people and to telling them. So in spite of what they didn't learn at school, they still very much knew who they were and were very, are very proud black young people. But, you know, my, my daughter's eating books for breakfast at the moment, eating books for mm -hmm. breakfast. I think we all and, and what she said to me, what was important is, we always know about America, but what do we know about the England? That's what she says. We don't, we know nothing. Yeah. So that's what we want to know. Can I ask? I mean, I think, I, sorry, I, I, just to come in, I think also, I think the fact that we have been in lockdown um, and people have, you know, been socially isolated, it has enabled an in, individuals to get, you know, tap into their emotional intelligence. And I yeah. think that that, that has really gone a long way. I mean, we had over 7,000 people who were on the march on the um, Black Lives Matters march in Liverpool. Um, mm. And, you know, that was mixed communities from all different cultures and faiths and backgrounds. But, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, the rea realisation is that, you know, it's not just black communities who are speaking up on this issue, it's everybody. Mm -hmm. And that tells me that it is a concern for everybody. Everybody is concerned about the way things are going. You know, we've got an impact in terms of our economy in the UK. We've left Europe. We've, we have seen a rise in the far right. And Liverpool, mm -hmm. you know, has also had instances where they've come to the city. They've not stayed long by any stretch of the imagination. 
because we mm. don't welcome racists in our city. Oh God, no. Not now and not ever. Um, mm. But the reality is, is, you know, the far right and that level of, of racism and hatred is not welcome in the city by black and white people alike. You know, we just won't tolerate it. And, and so, and you know, to have that groundswell of people to come out and show their solidarity to the cause tells mm. me that this city is ready to change. Just touching before, um, Councillor Clay, when you talked about your children experiencing racism, yeah. can I direct that question to both of you and your two black women in incredibly powerful roles in mm. two incredibly powerful cities? Do you still experience it? Are you overcoming hurdles? Oh my God, of course, oh my God. The worst thing is being a black woman in power. It comes hard and thick and the little micro racist aggressions and it goes on internally with internally and externally okay so let me tell you but you know something i hold my head up high and get on and do what i need to be do because what we're doing is for the greater good you know yeah. i'm killing anybody's kids i'm i am trying you know as a city uh with with the with mayor reese you know at the helm what we're trying to do is deliver a city that is inclusive that tackles inequality head on and we will never apologize for it. Our administration, we have made that clear from day dot. And it's interesting, again, my children said, you know something, mum, the days of people rolling eyes when you used to talk about race equality, there would still be some rolling their eyes because people just did not get it. But you know something, people are starting to get it. The penny has finally dropped, <laughs> okay? And so, there's a, like I said, a lot more people are reading, are listening. I'm hearing a lot of my colleagues are having conversations at, at their work, at, you know, at work. Uh, and, you know, for some, it's a cathartic exercise as well, for both black and white. People are apologizing for their behavior, how people have been treated. Uh, you know, people have been stretching out the hands of, you know, regret, to me and others about how they believe their actions um you know have impacted on me negatively but so, you know what we do is we brush ourselves off and kind of keep carrying on because we you know something we're used to it that's the worst thing about it we are used to being treated yeah. this way yeah. 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 i mean I, I i echo what what ash is saying councillor craig saying because you know i have been subjected to some of the worst racism uh, in my endeavours and, and even in, in the political arena, probably more so in the political mm -hmm. arena, because as you say, Asha, you know, you know, a powerful black woman is, you know, somebody to be feared uh, to some yeah. people, you know, um, and, 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 you know, the thing is, is that people want to chop you off at the knees when you're on a mission. And, 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 and you know, I think I, Asha and I are both very similar. You know, yeah. we're committed to this positive change. We are on a mission. We're not planning on going anywhere soon. We're here for the long haul because it's a long game. We understand that. You know, you don't change a culture and psyche overnight. That needs years and years of staying, you know, staying in the game and staying there and being productive and having the difficult conversations. But, you know, the racism for me, I can completely associate with young black people. I mean, I, I was, you know, brought up in the, in the, I was born in the 60s and lived through the 70s and the 80s. So, you know, I understand what it's like to be discriminated against, you know, under stop and search, under things like, you know, not being able to get a qualification, not being able to get employment. 
And so, you know, that doesn't change. You know, the circle of people around you may change, but that doesn't change. It becomes more sophisticated. It mm. goes from being covert racism, uh, sorry, from overt racism to covert racism, but it's still there. But, you know, my mission is to change people's, the culture and psyche of people because it's so deeply ingrained and embedded in the culture and the systems that we work to that mm. until we make those challenges, then we're never going to change people's perception exactly. based and on somebody because of the color of their skin. Yeah, you know, that's so why I keep saying to people that the, the toppling of the, the, the um, statue is a distraction. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't want to spend all day talking about what we are and aren't going to do in the public realm and the statues. What are we going to do to tackle endemic, systemic, structural racism that, yeah. you know, remember in 2015, Runnymede Report, Bristol was the seventh worst city in the country, right? When it comes to racism on every single measure. What does that say about, <laughs> what does that say about our, our, our city? It says a lot. And I can tell you that there are a lot of, there were a lot of organizations, both public and private sector, who are ashamed of that actually they are ashamed of that so they're gonna we're taking that shame and trying to move the dial on tackling it in all its forms so hence why me and uh, Anna got together following the work that we were doing around our stepping up leadership program because Please again we would think mm. so yeah our stepping up leadership program back in 2016 um, just off the back of um, Baroness Ruby um, McGregor-Smith's report in Race in the Public Sector and, and looking at leadership there. We invited her to the city and had a conversation with a number of key um, uh, city uh, leaders and institutions because I, I, I saw the data within the city council. Uh, Marvin had just asked me to step into the role as cabinet member for communities and equalities. And I said, well, the first thing I'm going to tackle is what we're going to do about the, the lack of diversity within our organization. The data does not lie. <laughs> so to do was I wasn't just going to tackle it as a city council issue. It was a citywide issue. And so stepping up, after some two in a pro so even to get a program like stepping up you can't imagine <laughs> the fight that we got to get that happening like the resistance to having a, a program that was directly targeted a black asian and minority ethnic it's kind of like everything that you want to do Oh, but why only Bain? Because the data is telling us what is going on. That is why. And if and, and when we looked and when the whole public sector opened up, because we produced our own audit, we produce an audit every year, warts and all. And you know, and they don't like what they see, but it's it's laid bare. But it's a baseline that enables all of us as organisations to look at um, internally our recruitment structures. Mm -hmm and uh, creating an opportunity to create a, a, a new cadre of leadership in, in, in the city from uh, Black, Asian and minority ethnic communities. And actually over the last two, three years, over 200 people have gone through that leadership program. We have produced magistrates, non-exec directors, uh, people who've gone on to, um, you know, governing bodies of schools, uh, gone on to uh, step up in, into roles, either internally within their organizations or externally, got themselves promotion. You know, uh, we are purposeful. You know, our leadership is very purposeful about the change that we want to make. 
And so we take the, the appropriate action. And so, I, I, as I said before, I am more than happy to come share that with, with Anna because Anna came to Bristol to see what we were doing. And um, yeah, we will help any way we possibly can to help, you know, turn, turn the dial. The last thing we need to do is reinvent the wheel on this issue because, you know, there is hundreds of reports about the race disparity around employment, education. We, we don't want to, we do not need to go down that road. We've got a saying in Liverpool within the black community, Liverpool Eight has had more reports written about it than any other city in the world because mm. the evidence is there. We do not need to do that. We need to be focusing on the recommendations, looking at you know, economic equality in terms of creating employment opportunities, business opportunities, and making sure that you know, we have the same life chances as any other citizen in, in Liverpool. And that's where our focus needs to be. That is the thing that stops people from becoming and contributing uh, to, to the wider society. Mm. Um, and that is the thing that needs to be tackled. Everything else can be resolved along the way. But one thing that keeps, um, you know, people, black people in a system that is almost like a modern day slavery is the slavery of this economic inability um, to, to participate in society. So our focus needs to be there. So the Stepping Up Project is an amazing project. I was lucky um, to view the project in action when I visited Bristol. Um, we're going to be bringing Operation Black Folk back to Liverpool uh, to, to increase the level of participants, political uh, representation and participants in boards, school boards of governors, public life, so on and so forth. But, you know, we have to have that political drive. And I'm so pleased that Mayor Anderson has got behind the initiative and is driving it politically. But this cannot be done just by a political uh, regime. It has to be done in partnership with our businesses, our mm. employers, our universities, our school. This is not one person's issue. This yeah. is a collective issue. We have to work together to ensure that we make a positive change and we make that positive change now. Yeah, and Councillor Rothery is absolutely right. You know, we have something called the one, one city approach. Uh, Bristol is one city. And the only way, you know, the mayor always says, you know, everybody looks to the city council to uh, to address all of the ills and the challenges that we face. But we can't do it alone. We are not in charge of health. We are not in charge of policing. We all have to work together collectively in order to, you know, for the common and greater good. And I have to say, you know, we've, we've been winning awards uh, for the work that we're doing. The way we work in Bristol, I'm, I'm telling you, even through COVID, I've just been blown away. If we didn't have the kind of relationships that we have forged and developed over the last two, three years, and this isn't about the old school way of, oh, but we've got partnership boards. We're talking true partnership. When we've said to the city, we want to deal with um, food hunger within 24, 48 hours, we raised a hundred thousand pounds from businesses across the city to make sure that last year, every single child who uh, had access to, um, Free school meals uh, could uh, could be fed. You know, uh, look at what Marcus Rushford has, has has done. You know, so and that's the thing. The city collectively will get behind an issue. When we were looking at period poverty, boom, done, sorted. Yeah. 
organizations came forward, put money together, they're going to put a period poverty box in their you know, toilets. And now we've got it all over the city, you know, and, and that's, that's the great thing about one city. We can have a particular issue. We've got a lot of priorities, but then every year they, the city themselves vote on the three top priorities that they want to collectively address. And we go for it and we deliver on it. What's really great is that all the stuff you're talking about there, Councillor Craig, I feel like it's echoed in Liverpool as well. Like, you know, you talk about the period poverty yeah. stuff. It, it's exactly what we're doing. It, it just gives a, a bit of, there's a hope on the horizon, aren't there, for yeah. us and for BAME communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, Liverpool is really a progressive city when it comes to initiatives. I mean, we booked the trend. Um, you know, we've got a reputation as being a city that, you know, of solidarity where we'll deal with food and fuel poverty. And we'll deal with it in terms of the systems that we put in place. You know, and, we, and, and, and some may say we, we sail very close to the wind on these issues, but we do that because we, we believe in, in our residents in the city. We, when we say every child matters, we mean every child matters. And so when we're dealing with the hunger and fuel problems, you know, we do it vigorously. I want to see the same approach, uh, the same vigorous approach to race inequality. Um, you know, because you can't separate both of them because it is, you know, racism and, and class and it is poverty and hunger and fuel. And it's all of these things that contribute. But we know that the di- disparities in Liverpool uh, in terms of our black community are, you know, huge, huge in terms of how they access anything. And that's, so, so that's where we have to deal. That's where we have to focus our efforts. That's where we have to concentrate. And as Asher has said, and, and what we said previously, we can't do that alone. We have to do that with a partnership approach. But the interesting thing is I have been having conversations with employers. And this is a, quite a remarkable uh, situation because, you know, it's about creating a safe space to have that open dialogue. Yeah. And it's about working with employers and, and, and them feeling uh, comfortable enough to tell us what they feel their barriers are. If you're not employing black people, why are you not employing black mm-hmm. people? We have to create a space where we can have that dialogue. Mm-hmm. And some of the conversations that I've had with employers, you would be amazed at some of the issues that they flagged up. You know, some of them are like, they're aware that there's racism within the company on the, on the shop floor, shall we say. But, you know, they're also conscious that they don't want to fall on the wrong side of legislation and find themselves in a whole legal um, situation around their employment or, you know, the lack of juicy of care, etc. So we have to make sure that we make that environment safe for people. And the way you do that is by having an open dialogue. And if somebody doesn't know or doesn't understand how to deal with discrimination, then we have to support them and show them how to go about it. And we need to create safe spaces within the workplace so that when people are employed in a predominantly white organisation, they don't just stay for a couple of weeks and then leave because they feel under pressure. They stay there for the long term. And the way we do that is by teaching employees how to retain uh, black employees, not just recruit and select them, but retain them. And how we, we also need to teach them how to make sure that black individuals are on the same progression route as everybody else. So mm-hmm. they have middle management, senior management and directorships open to them just as everybody else does. Mm-hmm. And that for me is a key component of what we need to do in the city.
hearing you both talk so passionately and with real tangible examples of change is just incredibly reassuring. I'm sure the listeners will think that as well. Um, we're going to have to finish there, but um, I'd like to thank you both so much for being part of it. And I really look forward to seeing the journey that Bristol and Liverpool take together and bring about real change, real positive Definitely. change. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for having us. And it's great, great, great to be here. Take care. Yeah, wonderful. Great to, to speak with my good sister, Asha. And uh, <laughs> we really look forward to the work that we're going to do together because it's going to be, it's going to be a fantastic journey for us both. Thanks for listening to what I hope you'll agree was a thought-provoking conversation. And I'm sure it's a subject we will revisit again in the future. If you've got any feedback or maybe you have an idea for an episode for the podcast, why not drop us a line at hello at merseywaves.co.uk. Thank you.